You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Turn to Acts chapter 12. We'll begin reading at verse 1. So timely that uh, we come upon this, this passage of Scripture right when we're focusing on praying for the persecuted church because persecution in chapter 12 really increases for the disciples in Jerusalem, for all the believers. So listen to the word of the Lord. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Okay. Math. How many soldiers? 16. Okay, good, good, good. One man, 16, uh, 16 soldiers. Um, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, in, and a light shone in the, shep, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter said to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. 
after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Wow. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive the truth of the gospel. May we treat your word, Lord, as the precious gift that it truly is. May you teach us, may you lead us, and may you guide us. May you transform us this day according to your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Persecution goes up a notch. Earlier, we have the, the stoning of Stephen, his death, and the persecution that was released, the end of chapter 7. And, and as we see it going, we see that the church scatters, and uh, the persecution is pretty much localized to Jerusalem. And then as we see, as they go out, they're proclaiming the good news. They're, they're demonstrating the power of the kingdom, uh, the amazingness of the gospel, the supernatural signs and wonders that point that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And as all that's taking place throughout all the lands around uh, Jerusalem, the persecution in Jerusalem begins to escalate. It starts with the jealousy that goes all the way back to which the, the Jewish leaders had toward Jesus. And then they, they have it towards Peter and John and the, the apostles as they proclaim in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And as that takes place, and then with the death of, of Stephen, it continues to escalate. But this is the first time that it goes kind of governmental. Up until that time, it was all within the religious uh, structure uh, of Jerusalem. It was within the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish legal council uh, by which all of their religious life was legislated, that all those things came out to, to go out and to persecute believers. But now we see that Herod is becoming involved. Herod is a king. Now we know that Rome had the real power in the area, but over the influence of, of the Jews, Herod was govern, governmental. His, his, his position as the king uh, of the Jews was, was really, really important, and he, he had clout and power. And when he stumbled upon the realization that this pleased the Jews, this pleased his people, it kind of shows us something about what's going on in Herod's life. He was someone in a position of authority and leadership who, who was greatly influenced by what everybody else thought about him. He wanted to be popular. If he was in the Oval Office today, he would be running pose, polls on, on every decision he was going to make to make, make sure that it was going to be the most popular decision. And so we find that when he stumbles across this and by, by arresting a few believers, and, and then as he gets James the brother of John, and he, some say that uh, the tradition is that they beheaded him. The scriptures here says that he put him to death by the sword. It pleased the Jews. 
And so he thought, well, if this makes them happy, I'll go after Peter. If cutting off James's head was going to bring uh, more endearment of Herod to the people group that he was king over, what do you think he's going to do to Peter? He's going to have a public trial, but he is, he, he is going to kill Peter. Huh. Now, when I, when I look at this, there's all sorts of questions. If you really get into the scripture and you start to experience it and you start to examine it and, and you put yourself in the place of the disciples, you put yourself in the place of, of John, the beloved, and your brother just was executed. Put yourself in the place of Peter and knowing that if he did that, if he did that to, to James, what's he going to do to me? And, and so we go through this, this festival of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and, and it's right at the 11th hour. Now, don't, I can't understand why God always waits right to the very end, but tomorrow the trial starts. Tomorrow the trial starts, and Peter goes on trial, and he probably knows that it's going to be certain death. And they're going to find some way to kill him. And so as he's there... The church, what's happening in the church? Oh, they're praying. They're praying. Today, as we pray for the persecuted church, there's a sense in which how, how differently would we pray if one of our children were a missionary to that country? How would that change the, the passion, the heart, the cry of our heart for that situation? This is one of the, the greatest techniques that the enemy uses. The enemy uses is, is the disconnect of, of understanding our brothers and sisters because when we're, when we're not aware that we're connected to them, our passion, the level of intercession really, really drops several notches. But if you think your child was at one of the, the most hostile countries and was there proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministering of whatever capacity the gospel was calling for in that area, how would we pray? Well, they just saw James killed. They've got other believers who are arrested, and now they got Peter. Now they got Peter they're getting very serious in their intercession. They're getting fervent and earnest in their prayer. And so they're gathering and they're praying. They're praying all night long. Peter's escape is in the middle of the night. And so it, it, just, it just fascinates me. I start to look at my, my first question. was, Lord, why didn't you send an angel? and rescue James before they put him to death by the sword. Anybody had that question? Yeah, we got a couple. God's sovereign. He can work any way he wants to, but for some reason, it seems like in answer to prayer, we get to partner with him in ways that really bring things about. It really brings things about. 
up until then, I, I doubted if the church was really praying that hard. Yeah, well, Peter, Peter and John got arrested a couple times, you know, and they, they got, you know, they got whipped and, and sent out, but nobody lost their life. But now all of a sudden, another life was taken. And this time by the king, by his government, by his soldiers, not Roman soldiers, by his soldiers. And, and, and so now it's like, whoa, what's going on? The church gets earnest about prayer. The church gets earnest about prayer. <laughs> we always had the, the expression, prayer changes things. Yeah. Because first of all, prayer changes me. And as my heart gets changed about a situation, then everything else has the potential of transformation as well. So the church is praying. They're praying. They're praying for Peter. They're praying for those that are arrested. And what happens? Oh my, an angelic jailbreak. Is that just amazing? I love it. Now, you don't have to believe in angels if you don't want to. Uh, I, I am pursuing more understanding biblically and experientially about angels as much as I can. Why? Because I need help. <laughs> I need a lot of help. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, give me, give me some help. We, we, you know, in America, Christianity, we pretty much have the guardian angel uh, thing that's, you know, everybody says, oh, that was your guardian angel, la, 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 la. And, and, and it almost appears that when Rhoda goes back and says, hey, Peter's at the door, they're thinking, no, 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 that's just his guardian angel. I don't know. They, they don't use the guardian, but it's Peter's angel. And so what I find in the New Testament church is that their, their experience and their engagement with angels was almost a regular activity. We see it over and over in the book of Acts of angels coming and, and, and doing things, speaking, doing all sorts of incredible things. Would anybody like an angel to help them in any area that you're, you're working on right now? Is there, is you got a need for an angel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Lord, we're open to angels today. Mm-hmm. I have not seen an angel visibly. Times my wife looks angelic, but I haven't seen an actual angel visibly yet, but I have been aware of their presence. And it's just amazing when all of a sudden you become aware that you're not alone, that, there's, that there is a being sent from heaven with an assignment. And uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool stuff. So let's see, where are we? We're at the angelic prison break. Let's go to the next one. So here's everything that happens. The angel appears. <laughs> and you notice by now, Peter's been around enough angels that they don't have to say, fear not. Because, you know, that's usually what they got to say. Every time, anytime an angel appears, it's like, fear not, fear not. 
you know? And so now they don't have to. And, and, and then the light shines in the cell. Okay, touched by an angel. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, it's like, I mean, the presence, the angels have been in the presence of the Lord and, and they're, still, they're, still, uh, they're still carrying the glory of being in his presence and the light shines in the cell. Now that could be helpful, especially if he's in the deep part of the cell where he probably was, where there was no light at all so that he could one, find his clothes and do all the things that the angel tells him to do so he can get dressed because we don't want his shirt on inside out, wrong side, his pants on backwards or anything like that. We, we, want, everything, we want everything right. So there's this light and then he has to hit Peter, strikes him to wake him up. Anybody a deep sleeper here? I mean, like the night before your trial and you're going to probably lose your life sometime during the day, the next day, and Peter is in such a deep sleep that the angel has to... Now, this tells me that angels are not ghosts. Angels aren't, you know, swinging through something. But, but that the angel, when he, he touches Peter, when he strikes Peter to wake him up, that there's something that's actual tangible and he feels it. And so Peter feels the angel, wakes him up. <laughs> and he speaks to him. And, and he has several things he says, but soon, soon as he, as soon as he tells him to quick get up, the, the chains fall off his wrist. The shackles just come right off. Now, I was, you know, going to spiritualize this a little bit, but I was, I was just thinking, okay, if we need some angels, is there, is there a need for angels because there's restriction in our life? Because somehow we're, we're in bondage, we're, we're chained. We don't have the freedom to move the way we want to move. Sometimes that can be addictions. Addictions can just destroy our lives. They can take over our lives. Sometimes it can be the oppression of others that are, that are restricting our freedom and our mobility. You know, just like Herod and the soldiers in the cell and everything that the prison represents. Uh, sometimes that, that, that's physical, but sometimes that's emotional. Sometimes that's mental. Sometimes that's spiritual. We want, we want prison breaks today all across the board. Complete prison breaks today. I give you permission in Jesus' day, in Jesus' name to get out of jail today. Get out of prison. So here we go. We're, we're looking at this. He says, get up, put on your clothes and sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a pretty good... That's a pretty good experience, I'd say, right there. And, uh, and so Peter follows. Peter's following him out of the prison. He has no idea of what the angel do, is doing is really happening. It's totally clueless that this is real. He thinks he's having a vision. They pass the first and second guards. They come to the iron gate that's leading to the city. And it opens because they know the right words. Open sesame. <laughs> They're just walking and the Lord is going before 
If he can part the Red Sea, he can open the Iron Gate. And whatever, whatever that we have in our mind that looks absolutely impossible, going through the Red Sea or having a gate, a prison, a door that is totally obstructing our ability to get free, to get out, to be alive, the Lord knows how to open iron gates. That's good news. Keep opening them, Lord. So they pass. They pass and they get out and, and it opens by itself. They go through it. And then they walk the length of one street. Now, I don't know what the significance of that is. They're on the other side. They're able to walk the length of a street. I don't know if that's a city block. I don't know if that's 100 yards. But after they get on the other side of the iron gate, the angel remains with them for a length of time. He knows that this is not an angel that just works on this side of the iron gate, but it's an angel that gets people free and is on the other side of the iron gate and walks with him. <laughs> and then suddenly the angel's gone. <laughs> now the next verse just cracks me up. I just go bonkers with this. Then Peter came to himself. He came to himself. So for some of us, we're, we're so used to, to not having anything supernatural, nothing wonderful, nothing open up for us, that sometimes we're just gonna have to come to ourselves and realize that the Lord's done something absolutely amazing. Pinch yourself right now and just say, come on, come on, come to myself. Whatever the Lord's doing in our lives, we want to be aware that he's the one that's doing it. It's not because we won the lottery. It's not because, you know, we, we got a free pass here or there. It's not because of, of just a coincidence of, of circumstances, but it's the Lord. The Lord's opening the gate. Now I know without a doubt. <laughs> Don't you love it? Now I know without a doubt that the Lord... <laughs> sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Now I know that the Lord doesn't mind spoiling the enemy's parties. Mm -hmm. We got to realize that when we, when we partner with the supernatural, we partner with the living God we're about destroying the devil's works. We're about spoiling the parties that he's about to celebrate and throw. Uh -huh. So there he is. He comes to the realization, this is real. This is really real. This is, this is happening. And so he's, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs once again. And where does he go? He goes off to Mary's house. Now this is John Mark's uh, mother, Mary. We know John Mark, he's, uh, he's the one that we believe at the end of the Gospel of Mark. He's the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark, which was actually Peter's Gospel, but Mark was writing it with Peter, no doubt giving the input. But he's the little lad that was like the first streaker in the New Testament, that when they went to arrest Jesus, they grabbed him by the cloak, and they had the cloak, but they didn't have him, and he was running fast, running for all his time. So it's at his house... That, that now Peter is going to, to Mary, probably knew that she was a prayer warrior, 
And uh, the, he, he may or may not have known that they were praying for him, but that's where he went and that's what they were doing. So off to Mary's house, people are gathered there, they're praying. Peter knocks on the door, must be locked. I mean, don't you think it's gotta be a locked door? Because Peter would have gone right out on in. Rhoda, oh, don't you love Rhoda? <laughs> She goes and answers the door and she's so excited when she hears Peter's voice. There's something about you don't really even have to see the other person when you know them so well that you know their voice. And as soon as you hear their voice, all of a sudden the bells and whistles are, they're exploding. You're so excited. You know, they've been praying for Peter and they've been praying for Peter. And she goes to the door to find out who's knocking and she hears Peter's voice and she is just beside herself with joy. And she goes and tells him and she says, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. And it's like, well, don't just tell him, go unlock the door and let him in. You know, why? Why does it go this way? I think there's something very special about the way this narrative comes across because it really helps us to see that even when we're praying and we're gathering and they're all praying for Peter's release, that the very first news that we hear that God's doing something, we don't believe. We don't believe it's too good to be true. He can't, that can't be. So they're, but she's persistent, she's persistent. She is insisting that Peter is at the door. So then they spiritualize it. Said, oh, it's not Peter. It's his angel. But finally they go, why? Because Peter doesn't stop knocking. Peter just keeps knocking at the door. Sounds like uh, Matthew 7, 7, huh? If, if you knock, the door's gonna be open. And he just stays there and he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking until the door opens and then when the door opens, then they go crazy, crazy. Now this is in the middle of the night and they're going crazy. And Peter's got to do a quick shh. So he put his hand, told him quiet. So I think he, he did the universal shh and, and Calm them down because they are, they are bouncing off the walls with excitement. He's there. <laughs> I, I love this story. I think it's so cool. And as, as they realize Peter, he comes in, he describes the whole event. And you know, this is, this is one of the times when uh, I, w- I wish they would have kept writing the scripture so we could go through the whole story again. You know, like we did with Cornelius and we have this and it's repeated here. Cornelius has it, then Peter has it, then they come and, and then Cornelius and Peter, they have the whole thing and it's, it's repeated three or four times by the time we're through it. And here it just says, and he described all the events of what had happened. Oh, wow. I would really want to hear how Peter processed that since he wasn't aware what was really going was real. I would love to heard what he was telling them. I, I think that would be so cool. And then as, as he, he finishes that, he says, make sure you tell James. James is the one that's leading the church, the council in Jerusalem and the brothers. 
all the apostles, all the believers. And then Peter knows this is one of the occasions that he's not going back into the temple and, and continue preaching. He's heading to another place. And so he's off and he goes. Good story? Anything you learn? Come on, Jesus. Send your angels. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's embrace everything that comes from heaven. All the angelic that comes from heaven, let's embrace. Let's embrace everything, all the resources that the Lord has for us. You know, Paul, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, he talks about how we're seated in the heavenly realms. But he, he says that the Lord has all these spiritual heavenly blessings. And I think these angels are part of, a part of that little group that we need to realize that there are things in heaven that we don't appropriate because we don't know that they're there for us. Today, I hope you hear and I hope the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you have those angelic beings in heaven who serve the purposes of God, the redemptive purposes of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the earth today. And when you need one, just ask him to send one. I was reading a story the other day, and, and the guy was he, was, he had some real turmoil that he was under attack. The enemy was coming, and, and his, he wasn't getting any sleep. He, his, his sleep was being robbed from him night after night. And this one night, he has this dream, and he's wrestling. He's wrestling with this demon. And as he's wrestling with this demon, he's already fatigued, and he sees this angel off to the side. And he keeps fighting with the demon. And then the voice of the Lord comes and says, ask the angel to fight for you. Didn't know I could do that. <laughs> angel, would you fight for me? Angel jumps right in. He puts his head, sleeps, sleeps deep, wakes up refreshed. It's like, hmm. How many times has the enemy robbed us of sleep when we might need to just ask an angel to come in and take care of the situation so we get a good night's rest? If this works for you, let me know. I'll write a book, maybe make a lot of money. I don't know. But uh, let's, let's, let's be mindful that we have more resources for us than what we're aware of. The other day, the Lord gave me just a, an insight and in, in, I was looking at a common situation and in the natural, I looked at it, I could see all the lack and all the need and all the deficit and everything. It was just, it was, it was pretty dire. But then he, he took me and he gave me the ability to see it from his eyes and from heaven's perspective. And all of a sudden, all the deficit was gone. There was no problem with the situation because I could see from God's perspective, this was just an opportunity for him to show how wonderful he was and, and what a good provider he was. And, and when I saw that, there was not a problem. There was no deficit. There was no lack. There was no need. And the difference is, what lenses do we use when we look at a situation? Now, mind you, I couldn't force myself to look at it through his eyes. Can't do that. 
everybody trying real hard to look with the eyes of Jesus so we can see things. <laughs> and we try, we strain, we groan, we read the scripture, we do all of this stuff, and we don't see it. It's something that we ask, Lord, would you help me to see it from your perspective? Lord, this mountain looks insurmountable. I don't know how I can ever get through it. I don't know what I'm going to do with what is lying before me. But Lord, you know, let me see from your perspective. Let me see not from the earth, but from heaven. Let me see from heaven's perspective what you intend to do and show and reveal and the glory that you're going to get through all of this. And he does it. I think it's, I think it's awesome. So we get back to Herod. He, he's not happy. I think Herod's kind of a narcissist and he's, he's pretty upset. 16 soldiers assigned to this guy because he knew how important, of course, had to happen during the Jewish, Jewish festival so he couldn't kill Peter till afterwards. So he's got to wait and now it's too late and Peter's gone. So he, he, they, they do a thorough search. If he's anything like his father, his relative, I'm not sure which Herod Herod, but it, you know the, the, the adage when Jesus was born and they killed all the two-year-old males babies because you know the jealousy the fear the 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 anxiety the threat to the throne and all this and and now we, we find I bet that search was really thorough I bet that was very very thorough and when they couldn't find him he cross-examined the soldiers one last time and then they all got executed Whoa. the saying was it's it's safer to be Herod's huios than his huos. It's safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Because a son was a threat to him and he would definitely kill his son. Jeepers. Now this isn't that Herod, but it's a generational thing that seems to continue on that's manifested through this Herod. Okay? Father, thank you for your love. Mm -hmm. I pray for divine prison breaks today. However you want to do them. One angel, two angel, no angel, a, a legion of angels, doesn't matter. We just, want to, we just want to position ourselves with your heart and say, Lord, everything that you have, everything that you desire, everything that you want, we want to say yes and amen to. Father, we have, we have serious imprisonment issues that are represented among us today. Some of the fears are so deep and so heavy. Some of the, some of the, the, the heaviness of heart. <clears throat> there's, there's almost, uh, the weight is, is, is crushing and the darkness is frightening and we say Lord let your presence come 
Let your angel appear and let the light fill our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our spirits, and our soul. Mm. For you are so good. So good. So proud of you, praying for the persecuted church. Now we're asking the Father to come and to minister to any need that you have today. If you have a need, I just invite you to uh, lift up your hand so that we can acknowledge that and we can stand with you and pray with you and be everything that we have. I've got one back here. One over here. You see the hand, I give you permission to go and to pray and let's minister to one another. If uh, while we start to, to minister to one another, you become aware of a need, let us know. Uh, we want to pray. So Father, we, we thank you. We, we say during this season of ministry, let your spirit come. Give us eyes to see from your perspective. Show us how to pray, how to minister, how to bless each one in need today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.